Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast with myself, Cody Rich. This feed is home to the best elk hunting podcast that I've done over the last seven years. And if you want to be a better elk hunter, then you're in the right place. If you want the blueprint that I developed after interviewing hundreds of the best elk hunters in the world and 20 plus years of my own hunting experience, check out my new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a framework to give you a step-by-step system that you can build off of for finding elk, getting close to elk, and killing elk without getting lucky. This is not the end-all, be-all course. If you're a 101 level, no no expertise, no elk knowledge, do not take this course. Uh, this is zero fluff. It's my four-step system, right? So it's going to be over a few, a few of you guys' heads, but honestly, this is such a great framework to build off of. Check it out. Link in the show notes. Howdy, Trail. Welcome to the podcast, man. We're going to talk about some elk hunting. You know anything about that? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, sometimes I think I do. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, and then I have years where I just get, just get humbled. Yeah. Just get my ass handed to me. And I'm like, <laughs> do I even, do I know what I'm doing out here? No, nah. I don't think that ever changes. I think the longer you go, the more you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it can humble you. It'll have a way of humbling you for sure. Yeah. And I mean, if I find I hunt a new area and, you know, I can find elk, but necessarily don't, maybe don't kill one last year. I didn't kill, I uh, didn't kill an elk in Idaho on a tag that I had. And, you know, I was in bulls every day seeing bulls and, you know, didn't end up killing one, but you know, I, I, uh, I came home from that hunt and, and had a real head scratcher going, yes. how do I, how do I figure this puzzle out again? It was like starting over again, you know? Right. Right. I mean, how many, how many days did you spend elk on last year? Cause you were in Alaska for quite a bit, right? Were you? Yeah. Yeah. I had a kind of a, I don't know, pretty diverse hunting season, I guess. I had a, I had an Arizona antelope tag first. So it was an archery antelope tag. And, um, you know, I think anytime that you get an archery antelope or an antelope tag in general in Arizona, you got to, you know, make the most right. of it, try to try to make the most of it. You, you, you have these grandioso dreams that you're going to go down there and it's going to just be incredible. There's going to be, you know, 80 inch antelope running around and that, that wasn't the case. It was a tough hunt. It rained every day and uh, it, it was a tough hunt, but then, uh, yeah, I went to Alaska and, and ended up, I think I was up there for 13 days total. So we'd scheduled 10 days hunting. I ended up getting some, some weather days where I got stuck and then, uh, came home and went elk hunting and I hunted 10 days, um, in, in Idaho and just, <laughs> just yeah. got my butt kicked. Just got my butt kicked. Well, it's funny because like, you know, you look at your season and you're like, oh, 10 days, that'll be enough. You know, like oh, we can, we can get it done. And then you're like, all of a sudden it, it blinks so fast. We were talking about kids before this, but like you blink and like, where did 10 days go? You know, like you go into a hunt and you feel like, okay, I got some time. Let's figure it out. It's kind of go slow. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. like, you're like, oh, we got two days left. Where did that go? I mean, is that's how I feel. Is that you? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of the problem was last year was that I had an area picked out. I'd done some talking to some guys. I'd looked at a bunch of maps and, you know, I had these big dreams of like backcountry hunting. And I did, we backpacked in, I think we were probably eight or nine miles as the crow flies, you know, into this drainage. And I was seeing a few bulls, but mostly I was just seeing people. I mean, I was yeah. seeing guys on guys on horses, you know, you know, outfitter camps. I mean, I was seeing people everywhere and, I was like, you know, this just isn't panning out to what I think it's going to be. But I mean, I think we probably burned three or four days in there, just kind of poking around, trying to make the most of it. And I was like, this is just not working. Let's go somewhere else, you know? So then peeled out, found another spot. And then we were into elk every day, but, um, you know, just the rest of the hunt just didn't work out. And it was a weird, weird, weird year for elk. I felt like, I don't know about you. Right. But, oh yeah. Yeah. Just, just fell off. Well, I mean, it doesn't help that it was like 90 degrees until October, you know, it was just so hot and it just felt like preseason the whole time. I felt like, at least for me, it was like, it just felt like I never really felt like it was rut. And at least where I was, it was really hot. I mean, there was rut activity, but it was still like that, you know, almost early season rut activity. It never really got mm-hmm. crazy hot. Well, crazy like uh rut activity not hot it was yeah. definitely hot uh but like you know it just never, never really like i don't know just felt always like oh yeah season's coming season's coming season's coming and then it's like oh that was it that was weird no. yeah yeah it was weird i mean i was seeing i've got some video of two mature bulls like one's probably a you know 306 an over counter you know unit in idaho with another you know mature five point and those those two bulls were hanging out every day on like 
September 22nd, September 23rd. Right. You know, those two, those two bulls all alone, just chilling together, you know, and, and I did see some small bulls with some cows, but like very, very few bugles, just hardly any rut activity at all. I just felt early. I don't know. It felt, it's like right. you're saying it felt, felt preseason all, all, all fall. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, and it's like, it's easy in those situations to kind of like, just wait, like, okay, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. You know, um, I was thinking about this. So I was having this conversation with my wife who, who was probably like totally zoned out and not listening at all. Cause I was just explaining it to myself. Uh, but I feel like year before last, I went too hard in the early part of the season and and there was like, uh, like home stuff that I had to go do or whatever. And so like, I burned up a bunch of days early and I was hunting really hard and it wasn't that I got burned. out. It was kind of that, like I was running out of time and it got yeah. good. And this is Montana. So it got good in like October. I started finding good bulls, good red activity in October. And, but then I was like out of days and I was, so then the next year I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, the pendulum always swings. Right. And so the next year I was like, I'm not going to hunt very hard early. I'm going to like, spend more time with the fam, like making sure she's happy. So then when rut kicks off, like basically September 20th through let's say October 10th or 12th, ah, that's my mm-hmm. time. Like that's when it's going to be. And so I kind of did that. And then I was like, man, I feel like I just burned up my, like I just wasted all this time in early season when I could have been hunting. And so it was like, you know, like on one end I went and the, and it was, you know, went too hard too early. And then the next year, like you go too hard too late. And then now it's like, okay, like what is the happy medium of this? And so this year, it's like, I want to go into particularly this season. I have two 10 day stretches for Montana, um, that I'm like, I'm treating them as if like, those are the only 10 days I get. Like I'm going, mm-hmm. these are my only 10 days. I'm not thinking about the last part of the season. I'm like, these are my 10 days. And then I'll have 10 days on the back end of the season to kind of do that. And like, I'm pretty fortunate to get to hunt 20 days, but like, I don't want to waste those early days. Like, mm-hmm. what's like, do you ever have that? Do you have something similar where you're like, uh, you know, this year went this way. So next year I'm doing X. Like, does, do you, is that kind of how you work too? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and sometimes that just happens. I'm, I'm like you. I mean, you've got so many days, even me, you know, working here at Gohan, I've only got so many days that I can go elk hunting before, you know, my boss is like, hey, we need you back in the office. Yeah. So it's not like I have unlimited days. So I, I do have like my 10 days. And, and I think really to be effective, you got to, in my, in my opinion, anyway, you, you're better off stringing a bunch of days together, you know, consistently. I think the more you're out there consistently day after day, the the better you start to figure it out. And then, you know, eventually you get your one chance, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to learn. I mean, typically I, I like to be in the woods, you know, anywhere from like the 15th to the 25th of September. And that's kind of, I feel like if I can get those days, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the, the rut's going to be a little bit later and I can still catch those last like three or four days where the rut's pretty good, or maybe it's early that year and, and I'm kind of on the front end of it, like on the, you know, 14th, 15th. So I, I like that window of time. Um, I'll tell you that like this last season, the thing that's had me thinking is um, I know guys that hunted the exact same unit as I did uh, that were into to bulls that were running and running hard, you know, like they had cows yeah. that were hot, were hot. And I think what happened to me is, and I, I don't know if other people are prone to this, maybe you are or not, but I get pigeonholed, you know, like I see elk and I'm like, there's elk. Yeah. I'm here. There's elk. They're going to start running. You know, they're going to yeah. start, you know, beagling off. I'm going to, I'm going to get my window. I'm going to, you know, pick the right meadow that they're going to feed out into that day. And that's, you know, kind of what I, I tried to do was, you know, I was essentially just ambush hunting, right? Like hoping they came through the right spot. I was trying to find those pinch points. I think in reality, you know, probably what I should have done is just assess the situation and say, you know what, I'm, st- I'm still seeing, you know, herd bulls here that are, you know, lumped up and they're not really in a spot that's conducive to killing them right now. Maybe I ought to go look somewhere else, you know, like maybe I ought to be more adaptive, go cover some country, look for some cows that are hot and and I've got some bulls that are running. So I think, I I think I'm trying to get over that uh, mindset of just like, you know, seeing elk and being like, okay, there's elk here. I'm just going to ride this out for the next 10 days and hope I get lucky, you know, which sometimes it works, but some like last year, you know, it, it didn't. And then yeah. sometimes it, it, uh, it behooves you to be more adaptable and I'm not great at being adaptable all the time. So I, I think that's one thing I'm going to try to take into this season is, is be more adaptable and hunt the situation. I definitely had some of that too. Um, I wasted like five days sitting on some elk that weren't really killable 
and mm-hmm. hoping that it was going to get better, thinking it was going to get better. And then I was like, ah, I just wasted five days on that. You know, and I think that's, you know, there's a saying, don't leave elk to find elk. But the reality is, it's like, sometimes that's a good thing to do. And I know there's a lot of people out there and I was guilty of this for a long time. And I may, you know, there's probably times I still am, but you know, there's particular herd of elk that lives in a pocket that gets wind gusted. Right. And like, mm-hmm. I used to hunt these elk for like weeks straight and be yeah. like, God, it's screwed up every time, you know? And then it would just get harder and harder and harder. And I was like, why am I hunting these elk that like have this wind favor? Like, that's great. There's elk there, but like, sometimes you need to leave elk to find elk. And, you know, I see this all the time when people are like, mm, how do I kill these elk? I'm like, you don't, you just leave, like go find new elk. <laughs> like plenty of fish in the sea, so to speak. But like we do that, right. We get honed in on this herd of elk, or maybe there's a particular bull there they were like, Oh God, I kill this elk. And you'll spend your entire hunting season hunting an elk. And you know, maybe it's like, they just live in that spot and they, they don't get mad or they don't get killed very often because like the wind is perfect. The thermals are, it's just one of those places that always changes all. And it's just, they're really hard to kill. Right. And so you mm-hmm. have to value. I always just think like, okay, what are the odds of me killing this elk? And I, I tend to think like if it's less than 20%, like if I look at all the variables and, and these are fairly subjective, right? Everyone's going to look mm-hmm. at it different, differently. Sure. If I say like, oh man, this sort of elk, I'm like, they'd have to be in this one spot for me to kill them. Or like, God, this, this, where they've been bedding out there is just impossible. Like the, I'm going to have to do this or that. And like, if the, if it's lower than 20%, I should just leave. Right. Like, and that's hard mm-hmm. to do because like I have elk. And I think it gets even harder when you're backpacked in. Like I've been back in places and sat on elk that were, it just wasn't going to happen if I was real, real with myself, but I was already mm-hmm. backpacked in there. You know, there was people everywhere and like, this is a herd of elk I had. And all of a sudden, like I started deducing all these other variables and like justifying trying to kill this one herd. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, it is. There's a, there's a lot of subjectivity. And I mean, I do think, you know, if you find a bull that you fall in love with, right? I mean, if you've right. got a limit entry, if you've got a limit entry tag and you've got a bull and he's three fifty plus, and you're like, it's that bull or bust, you know, great, That's stick fine. with it. You know, try to try to figure out the puzzle pieces and, and put it together. But you know, like on an over the counter archery hunt in Idaho or Colorado, you know, I for the most part, and I think most people are are trying to fill their permit on a you know just a, a nice branch antler bull, right? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, you're probably not going to find a 350 bull anyway. <laughs> so, you know, and if the bulls you're hunting, you know, if you're seeing the bulls that I was hunting, they were nice bulls, but they weren't, you know, I wasn't putting them on yeah. the wall per, per, per se. I just think, yeah, sometimes it, uh, you know, it behooves you to to move on maybe, you know, find find some animals that are a little more killable, yeah. if you will. So earlier you were talking about backpacking in, um, mm-hmm. I know you've, you've kind of spent some time, like, I don't know, we call it the coyote style where like, you just basically live with camp on your back, uh, versus going to a, you know, a single spot, like has, has that changed, uh, in the last couple of years or like, what's your thought on like, I guess being more mobile versus you know, backpacking into a remote spot. Mm-hmm. I still like, I still like that. I mean, it's still my preferred method. I, and I don't know, part of it's probably I've been effective at it. And then part of it's just, I, I like it. Like I like the the whole, you know, adventure in it, you know, backpack style hunting, I'm living off my back day in and day out. And I think if the bulls are talking, you know, if, even if there's enough to, to like keep you engaged and keep you moving with the herd, I still think it's a super effective way to hunt, especially if, you know, if you're, you're smart about it, you play the wind, you know, you're staying with those herds. Um, I think it's a, a great way to hunt. And I, and I think everybody's probably a little bit different, but for me, I've, I'm more effective that way. So it's just, if I'm out there and I'm pushing it, I'm, I'm with the elk, you know, I'm staying engaged. I'm giving myself opportunities that much more often. It's my preferred method and I'm more effective um, in, in that regard. Um, in saying that, I mean, you know, there are times I feel like, you know, maybe a base camp is, is the way to go, you know, maybe a base camp and not disturbing an area. I mean, if it's, like last year in Idaho, for example, I mean, there were elk in the area, but there were so many people, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I was doing myself, you know, any favors, but trying to stay out of that country. I, I think right. if I had just bombed down in there and, you know, kind of stayed with them and went with it, you know, who knows what would have happened, but um, it, it's so situational, you know, Yeah. It, it just, it just really depends. But I would say for me, it's still my preferred method. And, and I'm typically looking for areas in a unit that I'm hunting that better conducive to that style of hunting because that's how right. I like to hunt. It's funny. So like, I'll be curious how you rate this, but like, I would say like the worst kind of elk hunting for archery elk 
is like outfitter drop camp, like just out an outfitter. Cause like you are, there's never a version where you're more stuck because like you're only allowed like what you can walk. Right. And yeah. then like, I would say like working back from that is like having a base camp or like setting yourself to a base camp. I, I feel like it's not, unless you just have a bomber spot or you get lucky or something along those lines. And then I feel like, you know, a great option is what, you know, you do a lot of is kind of that, that coyote style or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then what I do a lot of is kind of like a version of having a base camp with like a spike out or, mm-hmm. uh, kind of doing like what I call like bivy loops. And it's like, okay, I'll have like a truck camp or a base camp. And then I'm, I'm taking like one night's stuff. And I do that because I want to stay light. So I don't even take a tent. Like I rarely take a stove. I'll usually like something cold soak or just granolas. And I'm basically doing a one nighter. Right. And I'm just like doing huge mm-hmm. loops. And then if I find elk in that spot, so like mine could be like easily five miles uh, and be like, okay, I'm going to go in this like five miles, check this spot, this spot and kind of work my way out. So I'll hunt the evening. And then basically I'm in there bugling or doing whatever, covering ground at night. And I really like this when it's like full moon and it's easy to, you know, see mm-hmm. everything. And then, okay, I'll hunt my, I'll hunt in the morning and then I'll be back to my main tent at, at, at dark. And like, for me, it's like, it adds the, I don't have to carry all my camp. Like I'm not carrying 10 mm-hmm. days worth of stuff, you know, cause I think mm-hmm. carrying five to 10 days worth of stuff is tough because you're obviously moving slower, covering ground or whatever. Uh, for me, it's like, okay, go light and, and cover the like loop. Right. I do these like little loops sure. and then come back to base, maybe, you know, whatever hunt from there, or like I'm right back out the next day. And depending on that, like, wh- where do you like, where do you see this, uh, bivy loops verse, uh, like your style, which is like, everything's on my back and I'm just go, go, go. Mm-hmm. I like about five days. That's kind of like I'll throw everything in my pack. And like, it's one of the reasons I like a bivy sack and I like a tarp, you know, it's, it's yep. easy to get in bed, bed at night and, you know, easy in the morning to load up and go. I feel like you get up to that 10 day. You're right. It is miserable because you're packing a bunch of extra weight. So I like that, like four to five day you know, worth of provisions. So that's food packed right. ready to go. And I feel like within that five days, I can either kill a bull or know, you know, pretty definitively that I'm not in elk. Right. So right. then I'm going to pull out probably resupply and then, you know, try another spot. So I, I like that five day kind of that five day window. And that's typically what I'll do. Um, sorry, my phone's ringing. Uh, <laughs> um, that's kind of like my preferred method. And then the other thing about me is I, I just, I get, I guess I'm maybe it's lazy. I don't know. Like I don't want to, I don't want to go out, you know, like four or five miles and then have to backpack, you know, or backtrack to my, to my base camp, you know, before dark or after dark. And then, you know, I need my sleep. The older I get, I feel like I need that good solid eight to 10 hour window of sleep. So if I can be bed, you know, be in bed at, uh, you know, seven thirty, eight o'clock on a September evening and, you know, get up super early, you know, four thirty or five and be on the hunt. Then, then I like that. So I, I feel like that style of hunting is what works the best for me because I get sleep, you know, I don't have to backtrack. So I'm not covering, covering more miles, even though I am packing, you know, more weight over more right. time. And I, I would say like the first day I'm like, this sucks. You know, I've got 45, <laughs> 45 pounds yeah. on my back and I'm like, this, this kind of sucks. But I would say by like by day two, day three, I don't even hardly notice it. I'm just kind yeah. of covering country and, and going for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, funny because like, I'm like, I would, well, it's funny you say you're lazy. You don't want to hike out. Like I'm like, I don't want to sleep, like, I don't want to set up a tent or sleep on the ground. I might as well, just, like, if I'm under three miles, I'm definitely just going back to the truck. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm I always not. see I'm people, re- like, bibbed out, like, two miles from the truck. I'm like, that's a 30-minute walk. Like, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah, it is, and I, and I would rather do that, though. I'm that guy. I'm the, I'm, I'm the guy that you walk by, and I might be three miles in, and you'd be like, why are you in a bivy? And I'm like, I just don't want to walk back to my truck. I want to pick, pick it up from here and, and head out in the morning and see how it goes. So, and I don't mind sleeping out there. You know, I, I like it and I like being out there and emerged and I don't know. It's, it's uh different strokes for different folks, I guess, you know, right, but that's just right. kind of, kind of work, what works for me. I've got a buddy that's the same as you. I mean, he, that guy likes to hike and I've been hunting with him before and he'll be like, Oh, we're going to, you know, hike into this spot and hunt it for the day. And I'm like, shit, man, that's, that's an overnighter at least, you know? <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm in and out of there and, and he doesn't mind it. He doesn't mind hiking in at, you know, three thirty four in the morning and then, you know, yeah. hiking out after dark and hit the truck at midnight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm just not, I, I like sleep. I like to get my sleep, you know, and I like to be, be in there. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I've definitely hiked out and like looked at my watch and be like, that was dumb. I have to leave in like three hours. Like I should have just mm. like say, but a lot of the times for me, it boils down to like, I don't want to take uh, anything with me. And I'm like, I'll like be there in the morning. Like I'll just hike back out. And so then I'll get in there and like not have anything. That's usually the, my MO is like not want to pack it all day. And so then I don't take anything, you know, even, even when I do, if I'm like bivvying out for one night, I'll have the bare minimum food, mm -hmm. a sleeping bag, and sometimes a pad. That's it. Like, and sometimes I'm like, ah, screw the pad. Like I'll be tired enough that I'll just keep getting, you know, just sleep with a sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But like, you're yeah. right. Like, I think there is a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, like whatever you say, like luck striking or whatever, like hearing a bugle in the middle of the night or like whatever, like being mm -hmm. out there. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Like you're covering ground and you're walking a lot. It really adds up over a 10 day period. And then like you, so say three or four days of me hiking in and out by the last day, am I not going to go over to the next ridge? Cause I was like, oh, screw it. You know, I'm tired. Uh, versus the guy who's been you know, going to bed at like nine o'clock at night and getting a full mm -hmm. night's rest and all this. And so I think it does add up. Like you got, you like, you got to watch it uh, for sure. And I think, like you said, it's just different strokes for different folks. Um, yeah. But I think the key is like, if you can keep yourself in good elk country, you're going to have more encounters roughly speaking, yeah. but there's yeah. definitely been times where I heard bugles hiking out in the night and been like, Oh, I didn't know that bull was there, you know? And like, oh, okay, like go up there in the morning. Sure. Yeah, I've had both. I mean, I, I've had situations where, you know, I've bivvied out and I've had elk, you know, kind of pop off of the night, especially if you got a full moon, you know, they start rutting a little bit at night. Um, and I've had them, you know, close to camp and they pretty well shut off before light, you know, but I, because I'm in there, I kind of have a general idea of where they're headed and, and in right. what direction. Um, you know, I, I can also see the situation where you're saying, you know, maybe you're, you're moving out after dark and, you know, you hear a bull blow up just after dark in a Canyon that, you know, would have been out of earshot for you had you stayed. So it, it, it can, it can go both ways. Um, you know, I've, I just think back on situations where, um, you know, I've had late season archery elk tags, like in Arizona, you know, where I've only been maybe two miles off the road, but I've woke up you know, first thing in the morning in a spot that I can already glass, you know, I'm, I'm right there. I'm, I'm able, I'm able right. to glass. And then, you know, I've seen a bull and instead of being, you know, farther away from that bull, I've been in a position that like, I can make a move that quick, you know, right, right, um, right. same with, you know, rut hunts. I've had bulls, uh, in New Mexico that have, you know, blown up in the morning on me, you know, right before light, you know, and I'm fully packed it on top of them before it's really even shooting light, you know, I'm, I'm right. working that herd. And so, in that regard, it's just, uh, it's just worked out for me. And I think, I think people stick with like what works for you, you know, like what's yeah. worked for you in the past, like where you find success. And, and I think for me, I just, that's seems to be the, the, where I'm most effective. Right. I think you just can't get romantic. I think a lot of people get romantic mm -hmm. about, uh, like the backcountry hunting thing. Right. And I, I think you've kind of been, you've had both experiences, I'm assuming, uh, where it's like, yeah, you want to go in this certain distance, but if there's people everywhere, like don't be romantic about trying to stay in five, six miles. Like if the spot was two and a half, that's fine. Like make it be two and a half. I think a lot of people, I don't want to say get romantic about like how it all happens, but like in some regard, they're like, Oh yeah, we're going to go on this loop. Right. And they, so like, say you set yourself up at five days and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this 20 mile loop. And all of a sudden it's like, you're committed now. And I think a lot of people will hit that five mile. There's people everywhere. There's no elk or whatever. And they're like, they just keep, you know, like keep going into mm -hmm. the thing. Right. And I, I think it's, it's really hard to do, but and the farther in you go, the harder it gets, but like, you have to be honest with yourself of like, okay, I'm not getting romantic about killing this thing five or 10 miles in or whatever it may be like, okay, are there elk here? Are there not? Is there high success? Is there not high success? I mean, is that yeah. something you kind of walk through? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I don't care how far an elk is from my pickup truck. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, if he's 10 miles, great. If he's half a mile, even better. Like I, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I used to work with a guy and he would tell me that like trophy elk hunting is, you know, when the, when it's head, you know, dies on the white lines of the highway, right? Like yeah. he, like that was, that was, and, and I hate packing elk. I mean, I, they're heavy and you know, my back hurts and, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not hung up ego wise as far as like getting in there. I mean, if the hunting's better, great, you know, right. so, so be it. I would go in there if the hunting's better, but I'm not, not hung up on distance. I think, 
I mean, like last year in Idaho, for example, I was in there eight or nine miles and that canyon was just chock full of people. I mean, there were probably four different camps, you know, outfitter camps and then other people that are just coming on horseback. Um, you know, I peeled out of there at, at dark, hiked out, hit my truck. I was actually driving to another area and I had two bulls run across the road in front of me. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I start looking at my maps, you know, I'm like, oh, well, there's water here in the bottom. You know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe they're getting so much pressure in that country that is deeper that they're kind of in that mid range. And so Man. I just camped right there beside, yeah, beside the road. First thing in the morning, you know, the first three or four ridges that were just mile and a half, two miles off the road, elk on every one of them. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think those elk were probably, you know, they might've been dummied up a little bit because, you know, they were hearing cars drive up and down, but like people were driving right past those elk every day. Um, but, but there were elk there to hunt and there were some really nice bulls, you know, and I, yeah. I didn't end up killing and I didn't end up killing one. Um, but you know, they're there. I mean, they're, they're right there. So I'm, I'm not hung up on, you know, distance by any means. I, right. you know, try to hunt out, try to hunt out where I find them. Yeah. What's your go-to method for, uh, you know, you strike out or your plan, your plan doesn't work. Like what's your, let's hypothetically assume you don't have plan A through D perfectly planned out. Like what is your go-to method for, okay, all of, all of my plans are, uh, not going to work. Uh, I'm back to the drawing board. What do you, what's like, what's trails go to back to the drawing board. What's the game plan? New area. Yeah. I, uh, I would say mapping at that point's a big part of it, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna start to look to look to country that just looks elky to me, and a lot of that is uh, you know just having elk hunted a bunch, you know, right. and and, and living and, and living out west. You know, I worked for the Forest Service, I worked for the DWR for a bunch of years, and I was fortunate enough to you know be on the landscape, fly elk herds, you know, look at yeah. the uh, you know look up topography from the air and kind of see where elk were. And uh, I think you kind of develop just a search image of, of what elk habitat looks like, you know, and where I should, where I should find elk. And so I think, yeah, I mean, if I, if I've kind of struck out on my plans, you know, A, B, C, and D, uh, at that point, I'm really just looking at the landscape. I'm looking at maps and I'm looking for an elk in an area that looks elky. And I'm looking for, you know, archery season. I'm looking for big north facing slopes that have got, you know, timber, it's got cover for bedding. Um, you know, I'm looking for water, any kind of seeps or springs, any of that. Uh, I'm looking for, you know, any kind of, um, you know, topography that might keep somebody out. So if it's, you know, a little hidden pocket that's steep and rough to get into, that's interesting. You know, if there's a river that's running right next to the road and most people aren't willing to cross the river, you know, maybe that becomes interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really just kind of analyzing maps and then I, I'm not very good at, uh, I'm, I'm okay with maps, you know, as far as like looking at maps and making plans, but I'm a whole lot better at just like looking at topography, looking at a landscape ahead of me and being like, yep, there, I'm going to, mm. I'm going to go try there. And I, you know, I, I do a lot of, uh, you know, just, just like I said, living off my back and just going. Yeah. Just go, go, go check it out. <laughs> Yeah. I think, you know, if you can just put cam on your back and cover miles, like realistically, mm -hmm. I always say like be ultra aggressive about finding elk and then slow down to kill them. And like, that's, yeah. that's, you know, to me is it, when I think about like the, or the Idaho, Oregon, whatever over the counter where it's like, I, generally speaking, if I run out of plans or there's other people, which is always now, uh, you're going to be hunting some pretty thick country because that's the only thing other people aren't going to hunt. Like it's kind of the yeah. only option left and generally where they all go, uh, you know, for that, for that purpose. Uh, and, but it's like, okay, we're just going to cover, cover ground. And you know, whether it's like, okay, I'm going to go check all these water holes, just like give yourself a to-do list. Cause it's, it's, mm -hmm. it can be hard to be like, Oh, I'm just going to cover ground or like the elk aren't bugling. So I'm not going to locate bugle. It's like, okay, go check every water hole that you can find on a map and put 15 miles on your boots in one day. And then notice the, the key here is like, notice the elk track that crosses the road. Just like, you know, I laughed and you're like, yeah, it's elk cross the road. And I went, I don't know how many times that's been the case where I was like going from one area to the other and an elk crosses the road. Like, or oh, was that elk going, you know, like clearly there's more elk here or like there's some version of that. I have yeah. even had that. I was in a spot one time and uh, I was going to go check out this area. Like I was like, I'm just going to go in there, whatever. I, had ex exhausted a few plans and was like, I'm just going to go check this area out. And then on my way, there was an elk track that crossed the road. And I, I was like, mm -hmm. ah, I was like, that's interesting. Just, you know, the gate, like the way it was kind of moving fast, but alone. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Where is that elk going? And, 
And so like, I kept going and I was like, you know what? I, I actually ran into some boot tracks. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and check that, that track. And I like, I'm just going to follow it out. And like, I, I walk it down and it was like walking down towards private and sure enough, I get down in there and like a, a bugle and there's, you know, two or three satellites that pipe off and there was a herd elk down there. And it was like that, yep. that was a bull that was going to look for elk. He had found them cause he could smell them. Right. I couldn't. Yeah. And so it was like just that simple thing of noticing. And I think a lot of people would be like, Oh, there's no track. There's elk in the area, but you don't stop to think like, okay, what kind of elk is this? Where's this elk going? Is this a cow calf that could just be hanging out in here? Or is this a bull that's like showing me exactly where a herd of elk is, you know, because, and this was uh, September 3rd or something like this, you know? And so like, just like those little things that you pick up or driving around, like, I mean, in Oregon, it was very common to be like driving around and you'd see tracks, you know, coming off a cut bank. And you knew like, that was like, that was the best telltale sign. Like, oh, there's a herd of elk right here. Like you finally found it. Right. And like how many people just drive right by that? Cause it's not like a hunt, you know, one of their hunting areas or very huntable area. Right. Like so many times, like these elk will just be holed up right next to the road in a place you, you drive by a lot of people drive by yeah. and man, like that just happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, for example, those two, those two bulls that crossed the road in front of me, I mean, I just pulled over, parked my car, you know, pulled up maps, pulled up, you know, our go hunt maps. And I started looking at, you know, topography. I started looking at roads, you know, I started looking at like trailheads and, you know, pretty quick, you're starting to see the aerial imagery and you're looking at it and you're like, okay, this makes sense of why those bulls right. are right there where they are, you know? And I, I think that's the case a lot is that, uh, I mean, we, we fail to kind of analyze the, the, the landscape as far as hunting pressure goes as well, as well as habitat. I mean, I, I can think of areas in Colorado where, you know, I look at the, uh, the maps and I'm seeing like, okay, all the roads here are kind of hugging the tops of the ridges, you know? So a lot of the access is actually high. So where are those elk going to go? They're probably going to go to the bottom. Right. Cause there's no, there's no access to the bottom. Right. I mean, right. so those elk are piling off and, you know, we hike into it and lo and behold, that's where the elk are. They're tucked down in those Canyon bottoms away from pressure you know, same thing. If all the roads are in the bottom, you know, the, it makes sense that the elk are kind of up high and they're kind right. of, you know, tucked away in those little pockets. So I think, yeah, you got to kind of, you know, think like an elk, I guess. Like, what, what would I do? You know, if I was trying to avoid a bunch of hunters and, and just over the counter pressure, you know, where would I go? And it's funny because like people fail to realize that not all pressure is created equally just because like there's a freeway doesn't mean that's pressure. In fact, it mm. means it's like, yeah, there's, there's noise, but the elk doesn't see that as pressure versus the the canyon 10 miles in where you go back there and there's like six camps dudes cutting firewood and people hunting all over like hey, ain't gonna be an elk in there you know and it's like yep. it's easy to be like oh that you know i look at this map and i you know i see all this like commotion right of, of highways and trailheads but even trailheads like think about it the average trail and i'll think about montana for example is like so like so many people hit a trailhead and hike in five to ten mm -hmm. miles right and it's like that first five miles of trailhead it, depending on what the topography is, rarely do people even get off of it. Cause they're so like zoned in and they got the blinders on and just hike down this trail. And so like, yeah, a trail may get a ton of traffic, right? Like I think of, there's one right out of town. It's like called sourdough and sourdough is like super steep off the trail. Right. And there's really no mm -hmm. trails off of it, but, and this is not a great hunting spot, so, but it's just like in, the concept of it is that like, there's nowhere for people to explore off of that. So from a wildlife perspective, there's not humans, there's humans down on that trail, but like, as soon as mm -hmm. it's just super steep and climbs right off of it. So no one's doing that. And then you get into like, you know, pockets where it's like these huge timber basins. And one thing you said, you're like, I oh, like, you know, if I see an area um, like this, Oh, that kind of looks good up there. I look for the inverse of that. And I, if I'm driving around and I can't see something, like I can't see an area, I'm interested. That's an interesting feature to me because so many times, like think about mountain roads, we're driving these gravel roads and you like, you look up in this basin and it's like, Oh, that's so beautiful. There's gotta be elk up there. Mm -hmm. Well, every other dude thought yeah. the same thing and he hiked up there, sure. right? Versus mm -hmm. like, you know, say you're driving around the South end of a mountain and you can't see just over the ridge where it's a North slope. Right. And like, yeah, there's a road right there, but nobody's going up and over and hunting that North face. Right. Um, and, and like that happens all the time. So like, I always, 
I'm almost like consciously thinking about the mountain of like, what is the giant piece I can't see as I'm driving around? I'm like, Oh, there should be something here. Like what, what's missing. Right. And so like yeah. places you can't see uh, or bugle off into, cause like, you know, I mean, you know, it is like you'll drive, like you'll be in the mountains and someone's driving around and every basin that they can like look out into they're bugling into like that's getting hammered. Yeah. Right. Cause they can see it and they can imagine it. Right. Whereas the basin that's, you know, doesn't get seen or isn't viewable from a place like never gets in. Well, I would say less often gets entered into yeah. because like you can't see it and imagine elk in it. Right. So some of my favorite spots are those spots that you can see from a road or, you know, a location, a glassing point that you can, you can look at and you, it's just like you're saying, you look at that and you think, oh, I wonder what else is there, you know? And mm. then you, you know, you, you pull up a map and you start to analyze what, what's there. And it's like those, it's a, it's that country that you can see just a little bit that then when you get into that, it really opens up. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, th- those are my very favorite, you know, like when you get into a, you know, if you look at an area from, like I'm saying, either from a glassing point or you're driving and, you know, you, you pull up your map and you start to analyze and look at that. And that basin opens up into like lots of little nooks and crannies and canyons that like tuck back in there. Like, those are my favorite. Those are, those are my favorite. Yeah. I, I love that. But I, I think it starts with just looking, you know, looking at a landscape being like, okay, well, you know, if that looks like that, what else there's gotta be more there. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's like you're saying, yeah. And yeah. it's, that's, it's twofold. I mean, you, you gotta be pretty handy with a map, you know, you gotta kind of be, I've said this before, but I think in my opinion, like the, the, the biggest leap in technology that's been, you know, kind of yielded itself to people being more successful is in mapping. <laughs> just, just being able oh. to look at aer- aerial imagery, look at topography on your phone, like while you're out there, it's, it's changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's been really hard. Cause I do think that like all of these technologies, uh, no, no offense, all these technologies create, uh, behaviors that make people do the same things. And so I'm constantly mm-hmm. thinking like, how do I, how do I switch it? Like, what am I, what do I need to see differently? What is everyone else seeing? Um, and it's, you know, it's like the old days of like, man, this, this remote basin looks awesome. Elk habitat, you know, everyone looked at elk habitat first and it's like, mm-hmm. I tend to lean the other way. You know, it's like, I don't care about elk habitat because like, I just assume by day one, that's all out the window. And it obviously depends. Like if I have a limited entry Utah tag, elk habitat mm-hmm. first. Right. But like when we talk about sure. Idaho, you know, where it's just like every other person in the world is going to be there. Like what is the, you know, what is like almost I look for that security first versus, mm-hmm. I mean, they still need, you know, certain features and whatnot, like you said, water and whatnot. That's very true. But I think so many people will be like, I was going to ask you like what your least favorite feature is. And mine is like parks because everyone or burns either one, like maybe flip a coin, but it's like everyone in the world like sees these parks and be like, Oh, elk will be feeding in there. And it's like, meh. Yes. It, it <laughs> it's just like, it can be very limited. Like it can be very pressured, I should say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I I took my kid, my oldest, on a, on an elk hunt. It was a first season rifle hunt in Colorado a couple of years ago, and you know, I picked a drainage, and we got up in there, and you know, we we heard some bulls, beagles in October, early October. Um, but but pretty soon, I found that like there was no reason for those elk to come out into open ever because there was nice. it was almost completely boat, you know, beetle kill. Mm. I mean, the it was an entire, entire swath of forest that was beetle kill that was just the right age that, you know, there was feed absolutely everywhere throughout that. And then, you know, a bunch of water sources had popped out as, you know, you freed up resources for water, you know, all those trees had died off and you had seeps and springs all over. You had, you know, grass that was knee high. So even though, like, if you were to look at that area on a, on a map, you know, f- visually it wouldn't have all the aspects that you'd probably think of, you know, it wouldn't, it didn't have these massive, like really nice mosaics of parks and, you know, right. it, it had some of that, but to be honest, like where the elk were, were just in these complete, you know, consecutive swaths of beetle kill and they never came out and they never came out, but I mean, there right. were tons of elk in there, you know, they were, right. they were packed in there thick, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, you gotta kind of, I guess you gotta be multifaceted, right? You gotta, right. you gotta just really take it all into account. And I mean, I, I look at maps a lot. I use that quite a bit to like get me started, but I would say, I would say a lot of people that probably don't find success like year in and year out, they maybe rely on that too much. 
you know, I, I would say I rely more on you know, what I'm seeing out there. You know, right. once, once I get out there, I'm just trying. I, mean, I think, you know, working here at Gohan, I think sometimes they get frustrated with me a little bit because I don't, you know, go over the maps with a fine tooth comb. And like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like the best map guy. Like typically when I go out on a hunt, I'll have, you know, map with like five or six waypoints and that's about it. You know, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll kind of have a general plan in mind, but um, yeah, I, I think just general, you know, just being out there and kind of reading the landscape. You know, seeing what you're seeing, looking for sign, things like you're saying, and just just game, going game day going changes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, game day changes. Yeah, audibles, <laughs> audibles. Yeah, you know, it's like you know, one of the things you said uh, earlier, and I think it's very true. It's kind of applicable to like that that beetle kill stuff. It's like find what works and and repeat it, right? And one of the things that you can do is, and this is true for mapping, but like when we talk, when when I got into rifle, I didn't get into rifle until a little bit later, but there was like. I think we got a little bit lucky and we're like, Oh, this works. Like finding this type of terrain was like, we could see into it, but elk felt safe and they would like meet meander in there. Right. And most people were walking right by. And if they didn't see an elk, they just kept walking. Whereas like, we're like, okay, if we sit and glass this type of timber, we find elk. And then it mm -hmm. was like, when I got into the, a lot of the e-scouting and stuff, I was like, okay, I remember that hillside. Like, how do I, how do I replicate that? And so then I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll take this. Like, here's what it looks like on Google earth or whatever you want to use. And uh, I find it and I'm like, okay, rinse and repeat that. And so then we went to this like new spot in Idaho and I was like, I literally just combed over the map and looked for the same timber density. Right. I was like looking for the timber density also like being able to like look at it at the right angle, like, and all that. And it was like, okay, that, that hillside should, you know, should have, and mm -hmm. if we can rinse and repeat. And then it was like, boom, that worked. And it was like, okay, now I can re repeat that. And I, I've tried to do it in Montana, but it's a little bit different terrain, but it's like, once you find that thing, so like you go back and you go, okay, this is what the perfect beetle kill looks like in real life. And then you find it on the map and you go, okay, how do I, how do I rinse and repeat this to a, mm -hmm. a different area of Colorado or whatever? And it's like, you find that thing that works where you're like, you're looking down into say beetle kill uh, about this size or whatever. And you're like, okay, if I can find a beetle kill that, that other people can't see into, or aren't going to hunt, like you find your little like niche. Right. And then you, you mm -hmm. just kind of rinse and repeat that. And I think the same works for like, say Idaho archery, right? Like you're like, okay, this type of timber, this slope. And it's like, so once you have the boots on the ground, you can kind of put it back into the map. You reverse engineer it and say, okay, how do I find this again in a different unit? Yeah. And, and I would say that's well said. That's kind of, I mean, if I think about how I, I like to hunt and as far as like preseason scouting, I mean, it's, it's reverse engineered. I'm, I'm working backwards from experience on where I've yes. seen elk, where I've, where I've had elk, um, you know, I've had success, even, even down to like the, the type of hunting that I do, you know, kind of, kind of reverse engineer it. Like how can I make the thing that I'm good at work for this area that I'm, you know, I'm hunting. So I, I yeah. think that's well said. So you only what, get that one way. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, what changes are you making to your game plan this year? Um, you know, I got pretty lucky this year. So like, I don't have any over the counter tags. So I've, I've drawn permits. So it's, it's good. So you're making I've changes drawn... <laughs> by having good tags. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's a great that's change. That's the big one. Get, get good tags. Get good tags. Um, yeah, I, I drew a, I drew a Utah elk tag, which would be, you know, good. I, I kind of a low, it, decent pressure, but you know, it'll definitely much lower than any other, you know, OTC nice. in the West. Yeah. So, um, as far as game changes go, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to try to do more, uh, preseason scouting because it's local, right? I, right. I'm a big proponent of preseason scouting. I know there's some people that, uh, you know, think that you can, and, and you can't spend all your days, obviously, you know, preseason scouting, it depends on where you live, but um, I'm a what are you big looking for when you preseason scout out on the landscape, just looking at it, know where the roads are, know where you're seeing people. Um, I think you can learn so much just by spending a weekend or two weekends. You know, if, if you can get a couple of days just out preseason scouting, it makes a tremendous difference. And that's something that I haven't been as good at because I've been spread so thin across so many different hunts and areas the yeah. last few years. Um, so I, I really am going to take, you know, weekends and, and just preseason scout. And I'm not necessarily looking for bulls per se, but I'm looking at, at areas that I want to hunt and concentrate on. So I would say that's probably the, probably the biggest change that I'm going to make this summer is just preseason scouting, getting out there and actually getting boots on the ground. Trying to reverse engineer earlier. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. Yeah. But back and forth. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest change that, you know, just, just trying to get out, get boots on the ground. Um, you know, I'm lucky that the tags I have this year, I think I can, uh, I can probably target an animal, you know, like I can spend some preseason scouting. I really want to make the most of those permits that I've got. Right. So, um, it, it's a different type of hunting year for me though, to, to be honest, compared to last year's where I'm just hunting like OTC type stuff or, or low, you know, easy opportunity. Do you feel like there's any risk in having good tags and approaching them differently than OTC. Um, I know it's easy. It's like, for me, it's like, sometimes when I get a fancy tag, uh, I, I, I think I'm better about this, but like, I think there are people, I would say there are people who get a fancy tag and then just expect it to be like, uh, uh, you know, a walk in the park. Right. And like, you know, keep it in check and be like, okay, this is still the hardest hunt. I have to put the effort into it. Like, do you, do you do anything different on a, you know, or I guess mindset wise of going into a hard to get tag versus, uh, an OTC Idaho tag. Yeah, I would say no, as far as like the amount of effort that goes into it, because it still takes a tremendous, I've never had like an easy that I can think of. Like I've never even, you know, even the permits that I've drawn uh, that have been good tags, they've not been easy. Like they've still been extremely hard. I mean, I've never done an elk hunt that I felt like was, was easy. Um, Yeah. I, it's, it's still, it still had to bust my ass and like really get after it to actually kill an elk. Um, I do look at it a little bit different in, in, in that, like if I'm out on an OTC hunt, I'm, I'm probably, you know, I'm just looking for elk in general. Like I'm just, you know, hunting elk. Right. right. So if, if I find some bulls, you know, I, I want to kill the, the, the best bull that I can, but I'm probably not hung up on, you know, trophy for the elk. Yeah. Right. P- per se. Whereas I feel like a good tag, like the one that I've got here in Utah this year, I really feel like if I spend my preseason time, and the way that that season opens, I mean, it opens August, uh, August 20th, I think. So it's early. And, and I feel like I could potentially catch a bull early before rut. So there's a chance to spot and stock or maybe kill that bull on a wallow the end of August or the first week of September when, you know, I'm, I'm probably not worried too much about that if I'm hunting OTC type stuff. So I'm, it's like I said, I'm, I'm going to put more effort into scouting. I really want to try to maximize the, you know, I know it's a dirty word, but I'm going to, you know, maxim, maximize the trophy potential of this permit. Right, 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 right. I think, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's why you waited so long, right? Is like to this opportunity to get hunt this level, this age class, this size of bull. It's pretty rare, honestly, is, I don't know. I would say getting rarer. Uh, it's like to get some of these tags. Like, I don't know if I'll ever try Utah. I feel like that one's that one. I'm just going to write that one off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you never know. You could always, I guess, but I, yeah. I mean, they, the opportunities like this only come around, you know, every, you know, for me being a resident of Utah, maybe every 10, 10 years or so for an archery permit, which you're waiting. That's a long time to wait. Yeah. Um, and, and to be honest, I mean, I can, I can over the counter hunt in Colorado right now. I mean, I still can in Idaho, yeah. you know, I, I can still do that every year if I want to. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with saying that I want to try to put the biggest bull that I can find on the wall. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I'm all for it. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, anything else, I guess, uh, any, uh, anything we should check out? What's, what do you guys got? Were you new? I, didn't you guys just launch the new membership for just the maps? Or yeah. Anything? Yeah. So we've always just had, uh, insider, which included, you know, odds filtering, uh, everything we've kind of been known for. And then, we, we launched maps and that came along with your insider membership. So it was that 149. You got everything under the same, you know, same umbrella, if you will. Uh, but just recently we had so much, you know, interest in people that just wanted maps, right? So we have a, a new membership called Explorer, which is just 50 bucks. So for 50 bucks, you get access to the mapping app uh, on your phone, as well as your desktop version of that mapping app. And then uh, you also build points in the gear shop. And then you have access to what we call point tracker, which is just this little you know program that helps you track your points in each individual state. So for 50 bucks, you get those three features and you miss out on, you know, the draw odds and, and the other things that insider offers. But yeah, I mean, for 50 bucks, it's a pretty sweet deal. Um, you know, you, you get everything maps. So for guys that yeah. just need maps, you know, 50 bucks, you get oh, for. I don't mm-hmm. need points because I can't draw anything anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Points in the shop. You get, I don't know if you know about our rewards program, you get points back in the shop. Yeah. So it's a dollar, dollar for points. So one point's one buck, you know, you, you buy a backpack, we give you 
45 or 50 points back, which is 50 bucks that you can use towards the purchase of anything else that you want in the shop. So, yeah. And if you guys want to check out like what trails, uh, using gear wise, uh, trail does a really good job with, uh, gear. He knows his gear way, way better than I do. Uh, you have a couple of videos on that as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We try to do every year. I'll do like a gear list, you know, gear dump, which, um, you know, we'll, we'll do another one this summer, kind of update my list. I haven't changed a whole bunch over the years, but, <laughs> you know, little things, you know, boots, maybe kind of a, you know, pants or layering system or something like that. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll do those. And, and pretty much everybody in the office will, we'll do probably three or four gear dumps a year. So All right, what's, what's your I've favorite socks one. right now? I know you're a socks guy. We're, we're both socks guys. <laughs> what's your favorite socks? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm still, uh, still wearing the, uh, darn tough. So like the 2012 full cushion is still kind of my go-to. Um, I've tried a bunch farm defeat. Um, I don't know. I've tried a bunch of different socks. I've tried some alpaca like wool here, you know, recently, which has been pretty, pretty decent, but I don't know that may, you know, the darn toughs are still where it's at. <laughs> I think so. I mean, they last forever. Yeah. What They're, boots are you, what boots are you using these this year? Yeah. So I've got, I've got a bunch of boots. Um, I just did a little, a little video here where I, I got to try on, you know, six pair of kind of my favorite or ones that I was interested in in the gear shop. And I think ultimately I'm going to end up wearing uh, the Zamberlin uh, Saguaro, it's called. Um, I've got a pair of, of uh, La Sportiva uh, Equilibriums I've been wearing a little bit this spring. I did some shed hunting and those, just kind of trying those out. Um, kind of my go-to has been that, uh, Hanwag Alaska GTX. Mm, um, yeah. That's a popular one. Yeah. I've kind of found, I just, I like an all leather boot. I'm going back. I'm going the other direction as far as boots goes for a long time. I was super, you know, I went, I went real lightweight and real flexible and I've had some hunts where it was just real steep, rocky train. And by middle of the day with a pack on it, it just torched my calves, you know, cause you're constantly flexing your foot to right. get in that elevation. So I felt like I just needed some more stability through um, my foot. So I've gone to, you know, kind of a medium to even slightly stiffer sole just to give me some more support. And then um, I think all leather is just better as far as like weather protection. You know, you can treat those things. You can snow sail them, which is great. And they they wear and tear better over the long haul. You just don't have the seams that you've got in some of the synthetics. So I, I just get more longevity. Um, the only sacrifice I would say you're making is they're a little bit heavier. So you're, you're right. you, feel, you, you feel the weight of them, uh, on your foot, but I, you do kind of adapt to it, um, over a hump, but I've, yeah, I've kind of swung the pendulum back to more liking a all leather boot. That's kind of where I think I'm going to be this year. I do have a pair of Scarpas. I try to get like super stiff. Like I kind of went the the pendulum, like you said, I was like kind of went tennis shoes last year and Scarpas, which seems counterintuitive, but like, I, I like scouting a lot in tennis shoes because it builds ankle strength. And then once I like go on a hunt, it's, I don't, I have ankle issues. So like, I, I want like the stiffest thing I can get as far as ankle support. Uh, but I think, uh, this year I'll probably run like just a Solomon GTX, uh, mm-hmm. mid for most of archery season. Uh, honestly, you can just trash those things and, you know, one year out of them and like 125 bucks or something like that. Uh, so yeah. I, I do like those, but then I think, I don't know, I might, either go Laponias or Kenetrax. And I know those are like very opposite boots, uh, but I've been wanting to try the Laponias, uh, Krispies, uh, but I might just grab a pair of Kenetrax. The Ken- ironically, the Kenetrax is the only boot, one of the few boots I've never tried. Uh, so mm-hmm. I might just like go with a, you know, a boot that's kind of like, you know, like full leather. I like the yeah. tall boots uh, and mm-hmm. just like, all right, basically like run a super stiff tall boot, probably an insulated and just deal with it. And then, also like a, a Solomon GTX running shoe or something like that, which sounds mm-hmm. counterintuitive, but like, I don't know how it works. For no, me. I've, I've, I've done that exact same thing. You know, I've gone from, I, I will say that like just hunting, if you're light, like if you're day hunting, you know, and you've got like a 15 pound pack, which is your lunch and what, what you need in it for the day. And you're kind of bombing out and covered a lot of country, a flexible, like more you know, like a trail running shoe is, is great. I mean, right. You feel so dexterous. I mean, you can just yeah. hop logs like and rocks. Ninja, and, dude. I'm like a yeah, ninja. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, you can just ping pong, you know, through, through the woods. I mean, you definitely feel a lot more limber than you do right. with a heavy boot. Um, but you know, if you're, if you are backpacking, you've got a heavy pack and, and you're in some steep country, I do feel like I just need that added support. So 
Yeah. Um, I, I'm like you, I use both. I've done both. In fact, I've done a lot of hunts where I've, uh, kind of bombed out for four or five days in a tennis shoe, you know, like a trail runner Yeah, and kind of, you know, killed an animal and packed it back and thought, man, that sucked and gone back in heavy boots. You know, I've yeah. done, I've done both. Yeah. I prefer to, I, I like the flexible shoe though. I mean, I, I do like it. It just, I'm going to wear one, you know, I've, I've gone back to a leather boot. You know, it's like it, for me, like, I don't know what it is about the ankles, but like I'll notice even this year during spring bear, I can tell my ankles aren't super strong right now. Uh, mm-hmm. and so like wearing a shoe all summer scouting, covering miles, it's like, it builds up that ankle strength. And then, uh, but I still don't want to have to deal with it. Like say I'm going in the unlimiteds, right? Like I'm for sure running a, a high boot that I like will not twist my ankle. Cause that's the last thing I want. Uh, or any, like if I, even if I was going into wilderness, for, um, say New Mexico, I want like a thick boot, probably just like, not going to worry about it, but I'm going to spend most of the, I wouldn't even say off season, like most of the season making my ankle stronger. Like when I, when I do baldy laps, I'm wearing tennis shoes. And like, mm-hmm. I know people like, Oh, I want to hike in boots. Like, Nope. I want to hike in tennis shoes. Cause I want to like beat the crap out of my feet. Like I, I look at my feet as like, I spend the entire season beating the crap out of them because that way when season comes, like it'll never be an issue. Like to the Mm -hmm. point where when I go for a run half the time, I'll just get my feet wet. Like just stand in the Creek on the first Creek and like, okay, now we're running in wet shoes. Cause like, the reality is, is like when you have a long season, what's going to wear you down is like feet wear <laughs> or like, mm-hmm. foot, like actual footwear, not footwear, mm-hmm. but like just that beating that your feet take. So it's like, I'd rather beat them up all season, make my ankle strong, make my feet strong. Like they're going to look like hell going into season, <laughs> but like that way it's like, I can put on a nice pair of Canatrex and like, I know I'm going to be fine throughout the season sure. you know, or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. I, I trail, I trail run, you know, and, and I just wear a running shoe and I do, I think you're right. There is definitely benefit to strengthening your ankles. And I'm, I'm like you, I've got a bad right ankle. Um, I, I can twist that thing though. in like the most sturdy mountain boot, like I can right. roll that right, right ankle, no matter what I think right. for, for me, I, I like the ankle support, but I think the, just the stiffness of the sole is kind of what it's kind of gone down yeah. to. Cause like, as you, you know, you stick your foot into the hillside and you make that next step up. You just got that added support versus the flex, the flex right. that's like in a, in a trail right. runner. And that's what ultimately ends up torching my, it's my calves. <laughs> right. Just, my calves get super tired and fatigued over a day versus wearing a, you know, a more supportive boot. But yeah, yeah. Boot, but boots are fine. People are funny about boots too. You should, <laughs> you get so many questions and everybody's feet's different. Um, yeah. Boots right. are, boots are interesting, but I would say it's a, definitely an important consideration to make. And, you know, it's like kind of tracks. If you're going to get a set of kind of tracks, I mean, I'd get them early and, and wear them often. <laughs> yeah. Get them, get them, get them broken in, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a good point too. Um, I don't know. What's, what's the best comparable version? Uh, Cause I feel like everyone these days has a tall leather boot. I don't know if that's the right, you know, mm-hmm. terminology for it, but like that kind of track style, right? Yeah. Zamberlin's got some, I mean, they've got a, you know, a, a 10 inch, I mean, crispy, you mentioned they've got the guide boot, which is a taller boot. It's probably a little bit more flexible than a, than a kind of track. Um, there's not that many companies around. Like when you get into a scarp or a La Sportiva, a lot of their boots don't hit that 10 inch mark. A lot of those mm-hmm. are like the eight or, or a little bit lower. So I would say probably the ones that are most com- comparable would be, um, you know, like a, a Hanwag Trapper GTX is a big right. heavy duty. Uh, fixed old boot. Um, I had one called the thoroughfare. And actually sure. uh, when I first got that thoroughfare, I was like, this is a joke, but I love that boot. Like it was bulletproof. And yeah. I actually did like that one. Um, I don't know if I, I, I'd go at it again. There was a few things I didn't like, but like, as far as like, I was pleasantly surprised overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Danner makes, I mean, the Elk Hunter, I don't know if you remember that boot, oh, yeah. but they, oh, yeah. they made, you know, USA made boot. That was a good boot. Um, you know, guys, probably shopped at Cabela's when that was the only thing around back in the day. I mean, Mendel, they, yeah. they had the, per, the perfect had some dad and, Mendel's a long time ago. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Mendel still makes a, a nice boot. Um, so that there are still some out there. I mean, I, I like the Zamberlin. I like the Han log, um, you know, crispy for me is a good boot. I just, you know, we don't, we don't carry crispy anymore. So it's easier for me to just run out in the gear shop and try right. something, <laughs> something else, but they, they, they make a nice boot. They're probably a little bit more flexible than, than my liking. And then my foot swims in a, in a crispy, it gets a little mm. bit sloppy in the front end. So, um, 
Yeah, everybody's feet are just so different. You just got to kind of find what works for you. And I tell people that all the time. I mean, if you find a booth that you just fall in love with and it works for you, you know, stay with it. Dude, I've been doing this like 20 years. I still ain't found one I fell in love with. I was stuck (laughs) with it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I I love that Alaska GTX. I mean, I really do. I I really like that. It's eight. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit shorter. Um, you know, they, they released their hundred year anniversary edition, which is a slight redesign or take on that boot, which I really like that one a lot. Um, but it is, it's a little bit shorter. It's an eight inch. Um, I'm not in love with like a 10 inch boot. It's, it's okay for me. I like them, but I'm, I kind of like that, like eight to nine inch range. I would check out the Saguaro, to be honest, that Zamberlin Saguaro, you might check it out and see what you yeah. think. I'll check that one out. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, appreciate it. We kind of got off on a tangent about boots, but that's all right. Sure. <laughs> uh, good luck this year. Uh, congrats on some good tags, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource, and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that, or we'll refund your money. Uh, If you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get $30 out of it, then we'll definitely refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.